Today's reading is Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is God's word. Well, Aaron, thank you very much for reading. Uh, Can I add my welcome to uh, Matt's? My name is Jason Roach, one of the ministers here, and a particularly warm welcome if you're uh, visiting here for the uh, baptism of uh, little Liam. It's great to have you with us as well. Uh, Do keep that page of the Bible open, page 546. And just as we begin, let's bow our heads and pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we have your words, the Bible, And that even here now, your spirit is with us to help us to understand them. And so we pray that you would give us uh, minds able to understand your word and hearts willing to obey them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are joining us uh, for the first time, you're joining us at a great time because uh, we're starting a new series called Seeing with New Eyes. Why call it that? Well, um, we're bombarded, aren't we? Uh, bombarded each and every day, whether it's through the news or through Twitter or through adverts on the tube, with uh, different ideas about how to view ourselves and how to view the world around us. And so it's great to uh, take a moment to look at God's perspective on the fundamental questions of life. Of course, we do that each week as we open up the Bible uh, week by week here at uh, Christchurch Mayfair. And yet we're going to take three specific questions and one Bible, Bible passage and see what it has to say on that issue. And today's question is this, why are we here? Why are we here? And I guess if you walked out onto the streets of Piccadilly and asked people uh, to answer that question, you get a number of different answers. I guess if you asked a Muslim, they might say, I'm here to submit to Allah. The very word Islam means to submit. If you asked an atheist, they might say, well, we're all hurtling towards oblivion. There's no meaning to life. I've just got to make up my own rules. If you ask a Buddhist, they might say, well, I've just got to overcome desire because all that I see is an illusion. And let's be honest, um, for many of us, when it comes around to Monday morning and you're sitting at the cot or at the breakfast table or at work or on the tube and someone asks you, uh, why are we here? You might just say, well, I just want to make it to my bed at 10 o'clock. That's about all I can muster at the moment. Well, look, today in Psalm 8, we're going to see the Lord's perspective on this question. And the first thing that this psalm shows us as we look at the words of King David written uh, many years ago is that if we want to know who we are, we need to understand who God is. 
If we want to know who we are, we need to understand who God is. In this psalm, we'll see lots about us, but it's all from God's perspective. Do you see how it begins in verse 1? Look down. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It starts by praising God, and it ends in precisely the same way. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And as you glance down, every line pretty much has the word you and your in it. Do you see at the end of verse 1, you have set your glory above the heavens. Verse 2, you have ordained praise. Verse 3, when I consider your heavens. This psalm challenges our perspective on how we fit into God's world. And if we want to know who we are, we need to understand who God is. My daughter got a magnifying glass for her birthday. She's three years old. And she absolutely loved it. She took it everywhere with her. She thought she was pretty professional. We'd be in the park, and she'd be examining the glass with her orange magnifying glass. She thought she was pretty professional. And if she wanted to get some milk out of the fridge, she'd open the door, orange magnifying glass, she'd be examining absolutely everything. Thought she was pretty professional. She went to the toilet. She'd take this magnifying glass with her. absolutely everything examined, thought she was pretty professional. Until the time came when she tried to look at the sun. (laughs) And at that point, two things became absolutely clear. She wasn't quite as good and professional as she thought. Her eyes were limited in what they could see. And there were things out there far too big for her to understand. And the great Reformation theologian John Calvin said pretty much the same kind of sentiments when he was talking about us and God. He said, you know, humanity, we think we're pretty professional, pretty good at understanding who we are and why we're here, until we look up at God. Because then we see that actually we're not quite as, we're not quite as together as we think we are. And God is far more awesome and wonderful and majestic than we could ever imagine. And I hope that today you get something, just something, of that, of, of how we fit into God's world, that your view of that is challenged and you see how great God is. Because Psalm 8, if you like, is, is a bit like God putting on a pair of Ray-Ban sunglasses on our eyes and allowing us to look up, to catch a glimpse of what God is like. This God who, in verse 1, has made his majesty evident in the creation that surrounds us. Now, I have to say at this point that last time I mentioned this anecdote about my daughter, someone came up to me afterwards and said, Jason, what kind of father are you for um, letting your daughter look at the sun with a magnifying glass? Can I just say that no children were harmed in the making of that anecdote? It really was just for a second. Back to the sermon. Why are we here? We need to look to God if we're to understand the answer. And in Psalm 8, we're going to see three things that God does with us, with humanity, that show why he is worthy of praise. Three things that God does with us that show why he is worthy of praise. Why it's worth saying, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And here's the first one. The Lord works through our weakness. The Lord works through our weakness. In other words, he shows his great strength through human weakness. Have a look at verse 2. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise 
because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Do you see at the end of verse 2 the military language of enemies and foes and avengers? The picture is of a, of, a, of a battle, if you like, between God and those who despise him. That's the picture here of God and foes and avengers. And what weapons will God use for this battle? Will he use fire from heaven? Will he use Exocet missiles? Will he use AK-47s? No. Beginning of verse 2. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. In other words, the praise of infants, the weak. I was sitting in a cafe with the same daughter, three years old, and uh, I was sipping on some coffee early on a Saturday morning. She was uh, uh, munching on a, uh, on a croissant. And uh, just spontaneously, she burst into song, as she sometimes does. I'm singing this song. It, it, Peter and John went to pray. They met a young man on the way. They, they asked for, he asked for alms and held out his palms, and this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but much as I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and... Well, some, some of you might know the song, Rise Up and Walk. And there was someone sitting next to us, a woman, reading her Saturday newspaper. And as uh, my daughter sung this song, uh, her newspaper sort of gradually lowered. And she looked over at my daughter. And uh, by the time she got to the next bit, which is about walking and leaping and praising God, she simply got out of her seat and stomped out of the cafe. I didn't have a chance to speak to her at all. Now, look, I can, I can only imagine that the idea of a three-year-old praising this God was absolutely abominable to her. That's all I can imagine. And yet what could she do when a three-year-old sat there and praised God? It flabbergasted her and there was absolutely nothing that she could say. You see, God uses weak people to show his great strength. And that's completely the opposite to the way that the world works in every sense, is it not? I've got really sucked into The Apprentice this uh, term, and I remember in one of the early series, series, um, programs, one of the uh, contestants said this, weak people in business are a waste of space, and a weak handshake is unforgivable. And that is, <laughs> that is often the way the world works, isn't it? If Microsoft wants to show their strength, they wheel out Bill Gates. If England want to show that they've got strength for an Olympic bid, well, they wheel out David Cameron, Prince William, people at the top of their game, don't they? But God is able to show his strength through the praise of the weak. And the Bible extends that same principle far beyond just children to the weak in general. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 might be a place to look if you're taking notes. But I just want to give you one practical example of that. A woman called Johnny Erickson Tarda. A woman paralyzed from the neck down in her late teens for more than 40 years now, who's lived as a faithful Christian uh, for decades, suffered chronic pain, and just a few months ago she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And Tarda says that it's her faith that keeps her going. This is what she said in a recent interview. She said, perhaps the gift of this cancer and pain and quadriplegia, I mean, what a, how can you even, to start a sentence like that, to perhaps the gift of this cancer and pain and quadriplegia 
is that it forces me to recognize my desperate, desperate need of God. And that is a good thing. What an amazing God it is who can show his strength through the words of incredibly weak people. I'd love to see militant atheists talk to Johnny Erickson and try to say that she's a, a Christian because she simply needs a crutch to help her through life, a simple psychological way of feeling better about things. Because when you hear her say things like that, you realize that that kind of sentiment just doesn't apply. Perhaps the gift of this cancer, pain, quadriplegia is that it forces me to recognize my desperate, desperate need of God. And that is a good thing. The Bible tells us that something supernatural is going on when weak people can speak about God in that kind of way. And there are many uh, Christians here who will know that to be true in their own lives. Perhaps you're here today and you've seen God enable you to serve him, to speak of him, to make him look great when you felt least able to do it. Perhaps you're here and you haven't been able to see that as a Christian. And you ask yourself, well, I'm so ill-equipped. I'm so tired. I'm so sinful. I'm so weak. Take heart. The Lord is in the business of of working through our weakness. That is the first point. The second is this, that the Lord shows us great care. Have a look down at verses 3 and 4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man, that you care for him? That God shows us incredible care, and he explains this by comparing us to the stars. I remember the first time I really bothered about the stars. I was in uh, Barbados, where my grandparents are from, uh, with 12 of my cousins. It, back then, it was, it was pretty safe, but the worst that could happen to you at night was uh, you know, a grandmother asking, forcing you to cr- uh, help her across the road. It was quite safe to be out at night. And we sat down at the side of the road. I looked up, and the biggest shooting star I've ever seen blazed across the sky. And it was, if, it was as if that shooting star kind of unzipped the sky for me, just hadn't paid any attention to it before. And suddenly, before my eyes, was this great city of lights that God had put in the heavens. And it's, it's a simple point, isn't it? But um, it's completely different from the city of lights that we create with our own hands. Babylon in Bible times was uh, uh, the USA of uh, uh, the, the early days. And yet all that remains of it is uh, a mound of mud brick. And yet the city of light that God has put in the sky burns brightly for millennia. And do you see how he made it in verse 3? It was the work of his fingers. The same way that uh, uh, we take five minutes to help our children build Duplo towers. It's just the work of his fingers. He didn't break a sweat. Very conservative figures tell you that there are 100 billion stars in each galaxy and 100 billion galaxies. Well, in English, that's a 1,000 stars for every grain of sand on the planet. And none of that is what the psalmist finds most amazing. Most amazing is verse 4. What is man, mankind, that you are mindful of him, the son of man, that you care for him? There are only six billion of us, and yet God cares for every 
one, knows every hair on our head, says Luke chapter 12. You see, although we're nothing more than a tiny speck on a small piece of rock revolving around one of the thousand stars in countless galaxies, God is, verse 4, mindful of us. In the way that you're mindful when you're separated from a sibling or a child for a bit and you long to see them, God is mindful of us. And it doesn't stop there. Verse 4, he cares for us. He seeks to shower us with care. Now, you don't need to tell me that we don't always feel cared for. Of course, life is far from perfect. But when we take a step back from our immediate circumstances, we live on a planet fine-tuned to support human life so carefully we haven't been able to discover another one like it. And if we're Christians, we know that every single event in our lives is part of a plan to prepare us for an eternity beyond our wildest dreams. Is that not true, brothers and sisters? What an incredible God it is who can show amazing mastery over this creation and yet incredible mindfulness over humanity. That's the second thing. The Lord shows great care. And the third thing is this, that the Lord gives us great responsibility. Uh, Verse 5 to 8, talk about the incredible responsibility that God gives to us. Have a look down at verse 5. You made him humanity a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. In other words, we've been made God's ambassadors. We've all been issued, if you like, with a heavenly version of the CBE. And uh, verse 6 to 8 pick up on the language of the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, where God commands humanity to do just this, to rule on his behalf. Verse 6, you've made him ruler over the works of your hands. you put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea all that swim the paths of the sea. In the biblical world, when a king won a battle, the enemy would lie face down before him, and the king would lift up his foot and place it on the neck of his defeated enemy. And that would show who was in control. And God says that he's put humanity in control of this earth. We're in charge of running the earth and the environment and each other. We're given a role of enormous scope. It means that all that we do at Christians, as Christians is part of uh, this ruling of the earth. And just to give you one practical example, it means that our work is not merely about just keeping a roof under our, our, over our head. If our job isn't illegal or immoral, it's part of this. It's part of what God intends. Uh, if you want to hear more about that, do uh, uh, download uh, our uh, senior pastor Matt's uh, excellent series on work a few weeks ago to explore that more. And yet this rule that we have over everything is to be an obedient one. Do you see in verse 5 it says, you made uh, him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Verse 6, you made him ruler over uh, the works of your hands. We are meant to be obedient to God, to Do all of this ruling according to his values. Do you see, in verse 5 and 6, it's God who appoints us deputy, like David Cameron appoints Nick Clegg. 
we all know, don't we, Clegg has a lot of power, but no one thinks that Clegg is in the same position as Cameron, that he can decide whatever he likes. He's got to be obedient to the real boss. And that's, of course, where we go wrong. You see, the problem with Psalm 8 is that we, we don't see this picture of humanity enjoying great privilege and working for God and ruling. It's just, it's just not what we see. We, we see fighting and war and gossip and redundancies and cancer and AIDS. It looks far from glorious. The world is a mess, is it not? It doesn't look like dominion. Well, the New Testament comments on these very verses and helps us to understand what is going on. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 8 says this. At present, we don't see everything subject to him, everything subject to humanity. We don't see this ruling that this psalm talks about. And the Bible says that the reason is that each of us acts as if we are in charge, that we want to be Camerons and not Cleggs. It's as if we forget God's manifesto and we set about trying to enforce our own manifesto. And we all do this. Let me give you some examples. A girl who is engaged gives her boyfriend the silent treatment until he realizes just when and how he should compliment her. A dad shouts at his wife and kids until they learn that he needs quiet to read his newspaper on a Saturday morning. And pretty soon they are tiptoeing around just in the right kind of way so that there's quiet on a Saturday. Bosses use a system of threats and rewards until a team knows just how to handle them. And kids, they laugh at other kids until they learn the right clothes to wear and the right words to say. And when someone doesn't get it, doesn't get our own manifestos, well then there's tension and frustration and war. And after all that effort, we die. Hardly ambassadors of the universe. Isn't that what we see? There's a piece of the puzzle missing. And the New Testament explains that the piece of the puzzle that is missing is Jesus Christ. You see, there was a man, as it says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor. There was a man, Jesus Christ, who did live on the earth as God intended. Jesus Christ was God's perfect ambassador. He was obedient to his father. He didn't try and train people in his own self-serving manifesto. He was the humanity. He is the humanity that this psalm ultimately points us to. And though he deserved honor, For the life that he lived, he took the punishment that we deserved for the life that we've lived. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 goes on. He's crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Now why on earth did he have to suffer death? Why did his honor come after his death when he'd done nothing wrong? Well, That verse goes on, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. You see, Jesus Christ died on a wooden cross 2,000 years ago, so that if we trust in him, although we've spent our lives living for ourselves, he tasted death for us. 
His death counts for us. He swaps places with us so that instead of the punishment we deserve for our sin, for our own self-serving manifestos, we're appointed as ambassadors. We have a stab at that now as Christians, as the church, and God helps us to do that. But one day, we will rule a new and perfect earth where there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. It will be incredible. Why are we here? A Muslim says it's to submit to Allah. An atheist says, well, there's no ultimate purpose. A Buddhist says, you've you just got to forget about everything because it's an illusion. And on Monday morning, when the Christian gets on the tube or is at work or is at the side of the cot, the Christian says, well, when I look up to God, I know myself. I'm weak, but God shows his strength through my weakness. I might feel insignificant, but God cares passionately about me. I might mess up, but because of Jesus, who never messed up, I'm given great responsibility. I'm God's ambassador. As I finish, some may uh, know of the book Good to Great, written by uh, Jim Collins. Uh, it's uh, stayed in the, um, the, the bestsellers list in America for some time. And his basic point was that good is the enemy of the great. The reason that we have so little that is great is because we have so much that is good. Now, you, you may disagree with the premise, but the idea is that we, we don't have great schools because we have good schools. We don't have great government because we have good government. It's, it's too easy to settle for the good life, says Collins. Well, look, with that sentiment in mind, let me speak to those who haven't yet put their trust in Jesus Christ here this morning. No doubt there is plenty that is good in your life. But do you see that we are created, humanity is created for a much grander purpose than to fulfill our own dreams and aspirations? We're made to be ambassadors of the living God. If you, your curiosity has been uh, pricked in any way, would you not leave this here? Would you think more about how Jesus pays for our sins and gives us the privilege of being his people, his ambassadors. And if you're a Christian, no doubt you've seen God's kindness and seen what it can do to your friendships and your work and your marriage and your parenting and all kinds of things. But even as Christians, we tend to limit God to the size of our own individual lives. I Have you been reminded this morning that we're rescued by a God whose world goes beyond our own hopes and dreams, beyond our own personal plans and purposes, beyond, beyond our own family and friends, to be part of something great. You see, Christianity isn't just about making our personal lives more cozy and more meaningful. It's the privilege of being used by God for his plans and purposes for the whole universe. There is only one God who makes such a promise. There is only one God who can make them possible. And it's the God who we pray that little Liam will come to know. He is incredible. He is majestic. And his name, his name is the Lord. Let's bow our heads and pray together.
O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Heavenly Father, we thank you for reminding us this morning of your power, of your kindness, and of how utterly different you are from the the power brokers of this world. Thank you that you can use weak people to show your power. Thank you for your incredible care for humanity. And thank you that you cared enough to send your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, to bear a punishment that should have been ours, so that we might one day reign with him on a new earth. Heavenly Father, this blows our minds, and we pray that you might grant us the faith to live in the light of it. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.